Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the You Can Do It Too podcast by Mamba Inspire. I am Mamadou Balde, I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to both showcase black excellence and increase awareness of the multitude of career possibilities out there for up-and-coming black professionals. This podcast will assist in breaking stigmas, barriers, and helping black students believe that they are smart enough to be future doctors, engineers, educators, and entrepreneurs. What an amazing night, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we have an amazing guest with us, Dr. Richard Harris. He's a physician who got a PhD in pharmacy and an MBA later after he got his medical school degree. He got his PhD in pharmacy first, then decided to go into medical school. And then after medical school, he realized that his dreams in life required him to have an MBA. So he went and got that too. He did his medical degree at the University of Texas Health and Center. And then his residency from University of Texas Medical Branch, Galveston. Since then, he worked in Richmond, then came back to Houston and Memorial Hermann. In addition to being a physician, he is the founder of Great Health and Wellness, a clinical advisor at Routine, a board member at Life and Breath Foundation, a managing partner of New Spectrum Educational Content, and the host of Strive for Great Health Podcast. Man. What I'm doing right now is a complicated question because there's so many things that I'm into, but you know, my background is I started off interested in either physics or biology. And when I actually went to UT, University of Texas, I was a physics major and I wanted to do biomedical physics because I wanted to make uh, prosthetics. Wow. And I realized I uh, did physics for a year, loved physics, hated math, and I decided to switch into biology, biochem. And yeah. did biology for two years, thought I wanted to do bench research, didn't really like bench research. And then I went to pharmacy school. And then okay. in pharmacy school, I figured out that I wanted to go to med school, but I was 21. I was in Austin. I was having the time of my life. So I finished pharmacy <laughs> school and then went to medical school. And then uh, after residency, I realized, you know what, I want to do business as well. So then I went and got my MBA. So now I'm doing stuff in medicine. I work in the hospital sometimes. I have my own private practice. I also have an educational consulting company. I'm a clinical advisor for several startups and I have a podcast. I'm in the middle of doing a book. You know, there's all kinds of different things. We're definitely going to talk about that. When I, I was so excited because I never you never see that kind of stuff, especially for people like us. It's I feel like every everything that you got into could could have been a career on its own but you just managed to bring all that together and make it even something amazing yeah you know i always tell people always chase your dreams because you'd never want to be someone who's you know 65 70 looking back at your life and think man i wish i would have done something and i was younger when i was 18 i told myself i'm never gonna have a man i wish i would have done and so you know, even if I don't think the timing is optimal, even if it's not the the financial decision, you know, doing all the school is not the best financial decision, but it allowed me to do what I really want to do. Yeah, and so okay. never, never limit yourself. Always chase your dreams. 
Definitely. Were you born in Texas? I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, wow. Lived there for seven years. Then actually the best thing that ever happened to me was when I was seven, my dad worked for British Petroleum, you know, so oil and gas. So we moved overseas and I lived in Belgium for two years. And so I grew up in a primarily black neighborhood in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And then I move overseas and go to an international school. And at seven years old, I have friends now from all over the world, speaking wow. all different kinds of languages, exposed to all different kinds of cultures. And it just opened my eyes so much. And that really laid the foundation uh, for my curiosity. And that's what has driven my career is I'm curious. I always like to say, is there some way we can do this better? Is there something I can do to contribute to this? Mm -hmm. And let me see what I can do to help with, with this problem. And that all started with that move over to Belgium. Wow, that's amazing. I had a friend uh, in college who talked, not I had, I have a friend who I met in college who said one time that people, there are specific places in the United States uh, where, where people who came from those places seems to be blessed. They seem to be very successful. And that's Cleveland, Ohio, and Chicago. Uh, do you have anything to say on that? Have you heard that before? <laughs> no, I've never heard that before. But, you know, when I was growing up in Cleveland, it was a, a very uh, blue-collar type of city. You know, you work hard, you, you succeed. And so that was a mentality that my dad had, that my grandparents had. And that was something that was drilled into me very young, that, hey, if you do work hard, if you try – you may not always get exactly what you want, but you will always be a success. And Definitely. that was something that I, I've lived by. Definitely. Talking about your family, what were some, what were, what kind of family atmosphere did you grow up in? What were some systems that were set up to just help you keep focus? And I know you talked about the idea of being, uh, going to Belgium and being explored to that life, but mm -hmm. how, what was the motivation behind just being curious all the time? You know, my, my grandparents were really big in fostering that, and they always encouraged me to explore whatever I was interested in. You know, my grandma was always like, well, if you want to do that, read about this. If you want to do this, you have to do this. They always told me that if I had a goal or mentioned something like, okay, well, here's what you have to do to get there. And mm -hmm. so they started that process. And it was the same thing for me as a kid. I spent so much time in the library reading books about whales and dolphins and sharks and anatomy and and that kind of stuff because i was interested in that and that's how my parents would allow me to pursue those areas was by making sure i had a way to find that information and then they always linked rewards to effort and so it was always like okay if you do good on your report card you'll get this if you'll um, do your chores, right? You'll, you'll get your allowance. So they mm -hmm. always tried to make sure that I learned early that your success is tied to your effort. And I always try to put in maximum effort because of these systems that my parents and my grandparents put in place. Okay. Okay. How hard was it to keep that up uh, being growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, in the majority black, because it, it, usually kids do not try to give you trouble when you, when you always stay in the library. Did mm -hmm. you have any hardship uh, keeping that up as you were growing up? Did you feel like you needed to be out there with your friends? 
Oh, that, that's been all most of my life. You know, as a kid, people made fun of me. They called me a nerd. You know, why are you always studying? I had glasses when I was like three years old. So <laughs> that didn't help. And I was super skinny. Well, actually, at that time, I was I was fat because I was on prednisone because I had horrible allergies. So I was a okay. chubby kid, a nerd who had glasses. So I got picked on a ton, but it didn't really bother me. You know, my parents always told me, uh, let their comments roll off your back like water. And so when the kids were making fun of me, I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't believe what you're saying. So that's not going to affect me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that was a, a profound lesson for me. And now it's because it's like cool, right? <laughs> and yeah. and uh, uh, reading and having all this knowledge and all this stuff that I got made fun of for a kid is is now super cool it's like so you know it's funny how things come full circle but you know just be authentic be who you are and the people who actually like you will like you for who you are and i found a circle of friends who like the same thing that i did and then when i got into athletics and sports i found i had a circle of friends who liked that i had a circle of friends who liked you know board games you know i i had a group for all of my interests and that was just because i was authentic in myself Definitely, definitely. Uh, I'm gonna take a guess here uh, on your age, but growing up in the, I, I'm guessing around the 1985s, right in in, in yeah. Cleveland, in, in Cleveland. Uh, what was it like to to grow up as a black man in America then? You know, it, it was really. It wasn't until I moved to Europe that I really started to feel like I was different because I grew up in a primarily black area. Yes, sir. Right? We, we moved to Belgium when I was um, seven. So that was 1990. And that was when, you know, all of a sudden everyone around me wasn't black. And, you know, there were some parts in Europe where you experience very overt racism, especially back in, in the 90s. Wow. And so that was the moment where I realized that, okay, I'm, I'm different. But luckily, it was an area where everybody was different. You know? okay. So it, they, we still were able to connect as kids because we were all kids and none of us looked alike. None of us spoke. Uh, we all spoke English, but that wasn't a lot of the kids first language. And we all had different cultural experiences. So we came together because none of us were the same. But yeah. we all just wanted to have friends and, and be kids. And so that carried on to later in life kept a lot of cultural um, uh, inquisitiveness mm-hmm. and I would always seek out other cultures and try to learn about their cultures learn about you know their religions their beliefs their family units and and try to see what makes them tick this podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things but what is the definition of black excellence taking what you have and making the best of it can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us it doesn't matter what you start out with it matters where you go and then when you go you're not going just for you you're going to lead the way for someone else it means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black we still are able to you know just like go the extra mile or you know carry the extra weight 
that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve. And paying it forward. That's my definition of black excellence. Uh, with the situation of the current world, uh, with uh, COVID-19, and in addition to that, uh, a us, uh, our people have to also deal with, with the issues of racism here in the United States. Uh, how, how have you been, how has that been affecting like your world? How, what, do you have any thought on that? It's definitely a hard question to ask, but uh, do you have any thought? What's your take on that? How, how do you maintain who you are during these times and don't let everything that's happening around the world affect your world? So you have to stay connected with those who are close to you, right? And realize that what you see on TV is only a snapshot in time of what the world is actually like. Yes, and so sir. I think part of the biggest problem with the lockdown is people have just forgotten what it's like to interact with other people on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, got their Twitter fingers going on and online, but they forget what it's like in real circles with real people. Now, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist. Of course not. I'm not saying that there isn't systemic injustice. Of course mm -hmm. there is. Right. But the way we fight that, the way we get through that is have real open dialogues about our own experiences here in America. And so I go and talk to people all the time, like, listen, what your experience in America has not been my experience. Let me show you my experience. Let me hear your experience. And then we can talk about what we can do to bridge the gap. Mm. And so coming at it with love, compassion, and empathy, I think is, is very important because psychologically we all have inherent biases and those are determined by what you see on TV and the environment you grew up in. And really the only way that you can get rid of that is by being open to new experiences and having conversations with people who have different experiences than you do. So you can try to see things from their point of view. You know, it's very hard to, understand something when you're just getting a news story in a snippet right mm -hmm. and you're like uh, that doesn't sound right or, or this doesn't happen or you know this is fake news or whatever you want to say Definitely. but then you can go talk to someone who is in that demographic and say hey what's your experience with with like with this have you had experiences with this how did it make you feel and that can open your mind up to a new perspective and a new way of thinking Definitely, definitely. That's definitely an amazing point. Uh, so going back to, to, to Austin, uh, you, went, you decided to go to college in Austin. Uh, I see you, you're a degree behind you <laughs> right there. I, actually, I should frame mine. Now you remind me. <laughs> <laughs> did you also do uh, pharmacy school in Austin? I did. So I did uh, three years of undergrad and four years of pharmacy school in Austin. And it was... It was the best thing to happen to me. It's a funny story. Um, before I went to UT, I had never visited the campus. Okay. Never, never. You know, I've been to A&M, I've been to Baylor, um, I've been to Rice, you know, on basketball camps. And um, I honestly, for the longest time, thought I was going to go to A&M. And wow. because I, had, I was so familiar and I had a lot of friends that were going there. And I got the UT acceptance letter and 
you know, only it had to be an act of God because literally um, I felt when I opened the letter saying, this is the place you're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to UT. And the first time I ever went to the campus was when I stepped on it for school. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was an amazing experience. Wow. Say that again. Tell the world. Definitely. You, oh. I, I think I had about the same experience. When I, when I, was, I applied to both A&M and I got accepted in A&M. And actually, there were some issues with my application as far as FAFSA and stuff like that for UT. And they were giving me a lot of trouble. And my parents were telling me to just go to A&M. But I was like, UT is the school. I had already visited it and I really loved it. And I really wanted to go there, and I'm glad I went. Absolutely, it, you know, UT is such a a diverse environment. It's an environment that's really conducive for learning and for thinking outside the box. You know, um, I still have a lot of really great friends that I met at UT, and all of them are really successful. They're entrepreneurs. They're lawyers. They're doctors. Um, they're politicians, they're thought leaders, they're coaches, you know, people who are really making an impact on, on this world. And, you know, I feel so blessed to call a lot of them friends. And I feel like that being in the environment of UT really shaped my career and my trajectory because you have every opportunity to succeed at UT, every single opportunity um, to succeed, to foster innovation, to figure out what you want to do with your life. There is an avenue there. There is a way. Definitely. I, so I know you grew up in many places around the world, right? Belgium. So you have a lot of experiences and you were, uh, you, you were exposed to, to so many different uh, cultures. But coming back to UT and starting school, how hard was it to adapt uh, at UT? Like, did you face any imposter syndrome being... Uh, a very a minority a, a small percentage of the minority in that school no so it you know it, it's a lot of what a lot of educated black men and women experience mm-hmm. in high school i was too black a lot of the white people and too white for a lot of the black people mm. it'll be like why are you talking that way why are you listening to that music why are you dressing that way I'm like i don't know this is just who i am like what is wrong with that Right. Yeah. I have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way to be black. I am black. All right. That's who yeah. I am. And just yeah. because I'm a black man who likes anime and I'm a black man who's a nerd does not make me not a black person. Right. Definitely. I'm a black person who likes these things. And so when I started at college, I thought it was going to be different. Right. I thought it was going to be a university. It's a place of education. And then my first year there, it was the same thing. You know, I, I went to some of the black organizations and they were like, you know, why are you talking that way? Why, why do you act that way? You know, why do you listen to that music? Why do you hang out with those people over there? I'm like, what do you mean? My friend group is like diverse, it's multinational. And so that was the hardest part for me. So I thought it would finally be different. Uh, it wasn't until I got out of college in the late 2000s, right, when people kind of grow up in their in their late 20s, early 30s, that all of that juvenile, childish, uh, you know, uh, you ain't black kind of stuff. If you don't act a certain way or do a certain thing, mm-hmm. that's all gone away now. And really, it's it's now in my friend group. It's all about the content of your character, 
doesn't matter what you like, doesn't matter what you're into, what music you are. It matters, you know, how are you a good person? Or do you want to succeed? And do you want to help others? You know, those are the things that really matter. Definitely. No, that's an amazing characteristic to have. And nowadays, I feel like younger, younger uh, students, younger kids have that, I think, lower self-confidence and they have a hard time uh, creating that characteristic within them. And do you have any advice uh, for anyone who's listening right now, like how to keep believing, understanding? I know you had, uh, growing up, you had that parent structure to help you really know who you are so you did not have any insecurities. But do you have any advice how to uh, be more secure for younger kids and just not, because the same thing you are saying, I, I grew up in that atmosphere and I also had parents who told me that no matter where you go, remember who you are and do not change for nobody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, be, there will always be a group of people that accept you for who you are, yeah. right? Your true friends will accept you for who you are. And one of the things that you have to realize is that not everyone you think is a friend is really a friend. And that will sort itself out in the long run, uh, who is actually has your back and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the people who have your back, they're going to have your back no matter what. You know, some of my friends I've had since I was 13 years old now, you know, uh, 24 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, throughout all of it, I could not see him for two years and we pick right back up where we left off. But they've had my back since day one and they accept me for who I am because they know the content of my character. Mm -hmm. And then realizing that failure does or not succeeding at something doesn't make you a failure. Mm. Right. And that's where so many of us are afraid to fail. But I always tell people a failure is only a situation where you learn nothing from the experience. That is a failure. If you say this didn't work, let me figure out why this didn't work. And so now I can improve upon what I'm doing. That's valuable. Right. That you learn something about yourself. You learn something about the process. You learn something about the system that now you can apply yourself or you can help someone else who's going to be walking through the same steps, not make the same mistake that you did. So mistakes happen. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody falls down, fall down nine times, get up 10 times. Yes, sir. Right? And just always remember that a mistake or a mishap does not make you a failure. And that's really, really important for our, our self-confidence and our, our self-esteem because everybody makes mistakes. Nobody gets it perfect. This podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things. But what is the definition of black excellence? Taking what you have and making the best of it. Can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us it doesn't matter what you start out with it matters where you go and then when you go you're not going just for you you're going to lead the way for someone else it means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black we still are able to you know just like go the extra mile or you know carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve and paying it forward 
that's my definition of black excellence. So you, you did your undergraduate in UT and then you decided that you wanted to do pharmacy school and you did that also, but you always had in the back of your mind uh, medical school. But medical school is a hard journey and it takes a lot of years. How, how hard was it for you to maintain that goal, to just tell yourself that you're going to keep pursuing that dream, mm -hmm. even though you already have pharmacy degree and all of that? Yeah, so for me, it was a little different. Medical school wasn't as hard because of the pharmacy degree. You know, I actually tell people pharmacy school was harder than medical school. Um, wow. and, and so I, my main problem was making sure I didn't get burnt out. Because okay. by the time I started medical school, I'd already been through three years of undergrad and four years of doctorate level education. Wow. Right? So I'd already been through seven years of, of intense schooling. And so... I had, to, I had to tell myself, listen, make the grades, but have fun, enjoy your life. And so I still traveled, I still hung out with my friends, I still had experiences connected, stay connected with loved ones. You know, I didn't study as hard as I did in pharmacy school because at that time I was 26, I started to realize that there was more important things in life besides the books. And that wow. I needed to make sure that my mental and physical health was on point. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to get through it. And so that's what helped me stay on task was making sure I stayed connected to the world around me, to my friends, to my family, and still trying to enjoy my life at the same time I was going through something that was very rigorous. Wow. No, that... That's the first time I heard. So you think pharmacy school is harder than medical school. So do you feel like medical school is more task? Is it more busier or what's the main difference? It was for the concepts. A lot of the concepts in pharmacy school are so abstract and there's no real way that you can make it easy to learn them mm -hmm. like when you're learning all about a medication you just have to like brute force memorize it yeah right and, th and there's so many concepts and so many medications and they're all different and even some things in the same class can have a, a very different effect so it's just the depth of knowledge was a lot greater and then you had to go into some physics-based things some chemistry-based things a lot of physiology and that was very, very intense. So that's why I tell people that overall, I thought the pharmacy school was harder than medical school, but also being a pharmacist very well prepared me for medical school. And then when I got out, I was able to see uh, medical conditions and how you treat them from a different perspective than your average, you know, pharmacist or doctor. I could combine how they both think and approach problems differently. Definitely, definitely. So you decided to get an MBA later. Uh, when did that doubt cross your mind? Like what, what was the motivation for you to say, okay, MBA is something that I need in the future? So it was another one of those moments that I started to look ahead at my life and say, okay, when I'm 65, if I didn't go get my MBA, will I be mad at myself? And the answer was yes. So then I said, okay, what am I going to do with this MBA? And, you know, because of, uh, of pharmacy school and medical school, I've been directly taking care of patients for 16 years now. 
And so now I'm starting to transition my career more into how do I help organizations and companies build sustainable systems for health? And that's mm -hmm. what I'm really focused on now. And I said, okay, okay, if I really want to do that, if I want to start, you know, not impacting one life at a time, but thousands of lives at a time, I need to understand business. And I'm always the kind of person that I want to structured learn before I unstructured learn. Mm -hmm. I, li I like to know where to start and I like context first. And then once I get the basics down, then I'll go unstructured learn on my own because I know what I know and I know what I don't know. Definitely. You know, I think the most important thing a lot of times we overlook is what don't I know? And that's very important. And so that's why I went and got the, the MBA because it aligned with my ultimate goals. And it was something that I knew that if I didn't do, I would be mad at myself. Pharmacy school. So pharmacy school was definitely a stepping stone to help you. It really helped you for MBA. No, it really helped you for medical school. And then you decided to go get an MBA, uh, just looking at your legacy because Look at your life. You just didn't want to have a career. You want to you wanna be able to do everything you want to do and leave a legacy. Like, did your parents at any point, did they set any pressure toward you saying, uh, you've been in school too long, you need to start making money now? <laughs> no, they, um, they always were like, why? So my parents never really questioned the things that I did. They just wanted to know what your thought process was behind it. And as long as my thought process was something logical or something that had merit, they said, okay, well, go for it. We trust you. Just, you know, do it. And so that was really the only thing they asked me was, well, why do you want to do this? And as, as long as I had a good answer that was well thought out, they were okay with it. And then they knew that, like you talked about, it would, to me, it was all about legacy and about impact. And I always tell people, that if I died tomorrow, you know, God forbid, if I die tomorrow, what I want people to say at my funeral is that Richard made a difference. Mm. And so I, the more knowledge I acquire, the more systems I help develop, the more people take my wellness courses or listen to my podcast, that is more lives that I impact. And so it all seemed a little crazy at first. You know, people tell, what are you doing that? You're a pharmacist, they make good money. Why are you going to med school? Well, what are you doing? You're a doctor, they make good money. Why are you getting your MBA? And now they see what I was trying to accomplish and they're like, oh man, that was, you know, really good. Like you're so well diversified, especially with COVID. You know, COVID taught us that no industry is safe. Not even healthcare was safe and that we all have to be diversified. And so now what I looked like I, I'm a genius where I had the same plan six or seven years ago and everyone told me I was crazy, yeah. right? So the, the line between crazy and genius really is just time, definitely. a lot of times. <laughs> that's, right? that's cool, that's definitely, no, that's definitely. Man, you're right, yeah, wow. No, that I'm definitely, use that code i'll take that from you definitely that's amazing so the most amazing thing is that you not just got the degrees right pharmacy medical school and mba but you found a way to use all of that right by being an entrepreneur a founder 
a, a partner, a board member, just give me your expertise in any way possible. Like one question though, I'm sure many people ask you when you tell them everything that you are doing, how do you keep your time? How do you manage your time uh, between all these uh, ventures? Yeah, so that's a very important thing. And I think that's one of the best things that pharmacy school taught me in the medical school was how to manage time. And it wasn't so much of um, scheduling or anything like that. It is knowing how long is it going to take me to accomplish this? How, how many hours do I need to study to make an A? How many hours do I need to study to make a B? You know, how many hours do I, do I really need to do this paper? And so I, I became really good at estimating how much time it takes me to do tasks. And that is really what allows me to manage my time so well is that I have a really good idea of how long it's going to take me to do something where a lot of people don't. A lot of people underestimate the time it takes them to complete a project. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a word for that in psychology. I can't remember it. It's a certain bias, but we underestimate the time it takes us to do something. So it ends up taking a lot more time to do it. Mm. I found out that I became really good at doing this by being honest with myself, having hard conversations with myself. And that really allows me to meet the deadlines I set and get the things done that I want to get done. And at the same time, because I know how much time things are going to take me to do, I never put too much on my plate. And that's the other people get in troubles because they much on their plate they have unrealistic expectations they get stressed out and then that leads to a whole host of issues and delays where if you know yourself you have realistic expectations and you prioritize your rest and, and sleep and recovery as well to aid the creative process you find your rhythm and then you get really efficient at getting things done definitely I also think if you have a defined purpose, you're gonna find the motivation to, to, to figure out how to get things done. Because many people, you hear them t- talk about, oh, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that. But if you really care about it, you're gonna find a way, you're gonna spend a lot of time thinking about it and create the time, right? Because mm-hmm. time is, a, you, you, you don't have to spend working on a task all the time, every single day, but for a week, it may be good for you to focus on this task and then next week you move on to something else. Uh, just being able to balance things and manage it. Right. Yeah, your priorities are never in conflict. I tell people that all the time. Definitely. So throughout all this journey, uh, just going back a little bit, uh, I'm sure you walked in, uh, the, the idea of growing, right? Uh, getting to place that you've never been before includes walking in in rooms where you are not comfortable right rooms where you don't feel like you're supposed to be there right not not just because you are not welcome but because you do not have the right knowledge to just be able to effective but the the difference is somebody who's going to be willing to stay in that room and be willing to find everything he needs to know or she needs to know to be effective versus the person who's not willing to do that how hard has that journey been to just be able to make yourself uncomfortable and learn in order to stay in these rooms and be comfortable. Yeah. So that's something that I got used to really young was being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I realized that again, young, that everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect, but 
I'm much less likely to make a mistake or slip up if I'm confident in myself and my abilities and I prepare. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a lot of things is that you can't prepare for every situation, but the more you prepare, the more confident you are, the more you see the room as your own and not that you're in the room. So whenever I step into those situations, I envision that I command the room, not that the room commands me. Yes, and sir. so when you have that mentality, like you're in that attack mode, in that attack mentality, you don't really feel like you're in places where you don't belong anymore. So once I started to have this mindset, now, no matter what room I walk in, even if it's CEOs, you know, everyone in the room is worth, you know, seven, eight figures and um, that I'm not there, that's okay because I'm still there for a reason right i was invited to that room for a reason yes these sir. other people have seen a value in me and that's why i'm there so if they see a value in me then why should i talk myself out of that value no i should talk myself into that value wow. and then i should realize that i am there for a purpose and i belong there so 2020 it has been <laughs> A crazy year and now and this year has shown us more than anything that living with a legacy is way more important than pushing a career right spending your time living the way you support the, the, the right way and trying to do everything to build yourself a legacy is more important it has shown us by the death of Kobe Bryant right died so early but it seems like he has done so many things that people who live hundreds of years don't do right recently chadwick boseman right and talking to you right now i one can really like everybody listening to this episode can guess that you are somebody who focused on the legacy right the fact that you sacrifice years just focusing on the future about the kind of life you want to have you sacrifice those years to get the education to do the work, right? So you can be better prepared to have that life later. So what kind of legacy do you envision yourself uh, living in this world? So the primary thing that I hope that I'm able to do uh, before I, I leave this earth is to really help people see the value in health because the value in health is now gone for most people. What I tell people though, is if you don't make time for health, you eventually make time for sickness. And I want people wow. to see the value of preventative health, the value of taking care of ourselves and how that just increases our productivity, increases our happiness, increases the ability for us to provide for our families, our, our loved ones, our friends, and I'm tired of seeing just people riddled with chronic disease that's preventable. And so I'm doing everything that I can to really help people see that there's a better way and that we're not meant to live with this high burden of chronic disease. That's just not what life is about. Life yeah. is about doing things on a daily basis that help other people and bring us joy. That's what life is about to me. And so you can't do that if your health is in a bad state. So that's my major goal. That's what I really want to do. I, I want to 
touched you know millions of lives when it comes to to health and wellness and in mindset and hope that you know I, I can leave the world a, a better place and you know hope to change some lives that's that's really where my goal is where my heart is I made the black queen's grace continually mesmerize the millions who couldn't see it when looking into her eyes and the black man's plight no longer be the disguise oppression emasculation they want to castracize it I just want to be me I just want to be free I just want liberty equity and democracy I just want to believe in the good of society I just want to believe that they ain't been lying to me I want equality want no more poverty I want people to tell you it's more black people in jail for committing crimes the blacks and whites are committing equally I want the corporate interest to crumble before on my feet. I want them to stop selling your rights to powers that be. I want a third term for Obama we'll never see. No Democrat, no Republican, me, I want unity. I want the righteous voice speaking to my community. Don't listen to what they say and look at what they say to see. I want you to know the truth, but for that you will have to see. All people are beautiful, but you best know my